Hello, my name is Tapio Maseba, and this is the Commercial Awareness Podcast, Episode 17. I apologize for the delay in episodes, but there will be a more regular episode release schedule in preparation for the upcoming training contract deadlines. Now, some headlines. Stevenson Harwood has launched an innovation network for associates working on the firm's technology projects to junior lawyers to develop their careers. Evershed Sutherland is the latest firm to challenge the big four by launching its own new law business called Connexo, which will provide advisory services, managed services, and interim services in the UK, Europe, Asia, and the US. London's Evening Standard has reported losses of £11.5 million this year, as their ad-for-profit model dwindles in the wake of growing digital ad revenue. Companies are dodging the tariffs the U.S. has placed on Chinese goods by entering the U.S. via other countries, such as Vietnam. In a related story, American tech companies have already found loopholes in the law to circumvent the Huawei ban to keep selling products to Huawei. On that note, I am aware that during my absence I missed out on reporting the Huawei ban, its ramifications and what it means. I'll provide a link in the description of this episode of a video that I believe adequately summarizes the Huawei ban and Huawei's next steps. Carrying on, the next and final headline is, Allianz Insurance have bolstered their holding in the UK after acquiring the general insurance business of Legal in General for £242 million and the 51% of LV General Insurance it did not already own for £578 million. The Legal in General acquisition sees 2 million customers move to Allianz. As always, links for all stories will be provided in the description. And now the longer reads. The first read being, The New South Wales Supreme Court has ruled that commercial entities, including media companies, can be regarded as publishers for comments on their posts, and as a result, have responsibility to prevent defamatory marks from being posted. In short, this means that a news company can be held liable for defamation if a commenter on one of their posts writes something defamatory. So, why is this even important? I find that seeing different jurisdictions manage modern-day problems can sometimes be a precursor to how the jurisdictions we live in may manage them. And though I usually like to keep my own opinion out of stories, I cannot agree with this ruling. Granted, this is in the context of a defamation case, but it seems like a cop-out to hold media outlets responsible for commenters on Facebook, and not Facebook themselves, especially when Facebook does not provide these media companies with that much power for moderation of their own comment sections. It also shows the issues we still face in applying old labels to modern-day advances, considering that a publisher like a newspaper company, responsible for those who write in the newspaper and has editors to ensure that anything publishes up to standard, is practically very different to a comment thread where one cannot predict what the next commenter may say. It also appears to ignore the recent criticism Facebook itself has faced for not moderating what is posted, and goes against a trend of calls to actually classify Facebook as a publisher instead of just a platform. Essentially, instead of cutting the head off the snake, the Australian court has decided to cut the tail. It may have the same effect, but it can be argued that calling Facebook the publisher would have been much more effective, and a much more cost-effective result for everyone involved except Facebook, of course. Ultimately, it will be interesting to see if other rulings around the world eventually mirror this one, and I would like to ask you as to whether, first of all, this decision was correct, and whether Facebook should be considered a publisher. Credit for this story goes to Michael McGowan.
The next story is that Adidas have lost the trademark of the three stripes in Europe after an EU court reported that it was not distinctive enough. I initially wanted to just make this a headline, but I felt the need to slightly elaborate. However, this also does not need to be a full lesson in intellectual property. But more often than not, the European court requires evidence that the trademark has gained distinctive character throughout the European Union. This means that the holder of the trademark has an evidential requirement to demonstrate that all member states, not just a majority of member states, acknowledge the trademark's distinctive character. This is to say that consumers in every single member state link the three stripes to Adidas. I say all this to summarize that this is a lesson for future IP lawyers to be sure to present the necessary evidence for your client. As previously reported, McDonald's had the same issue when they lost the Big Mac trademark. As though the layperson would probably acknowledge the company uses the Big Mac trademark, the European court's evidential requirement for genuine use are much more painstaking and pedantic than common sense would sometimes allow. And it's as probably this pedantic as having an EU-wide protection of a trademark is quite lucrative and convenient. It is also worth mentioning that the trademark lost is merely the, quote, three parallel equidistant stripes of identical width applied on the product in any direction, end quote. This means that in practice, it will still be quite difficult to not infringe on Adidas's trademark as Adidas tend to present multiple trademarks on their products. But even though the loss of the trademark does not have much practical effect, I'm sure that both Adidas and their lawyers would have preferred to keep it. Credit for this story goes to Jasper Jolly. And the final story is that an unprecedented link between the UK and China, the London-Shanghai Stock Connect, was launched on Monday. For the first time, overseas companies listed in the UK will be allowed to issue a form of share on the Shanghai stock market, and Chinese companies will be able to raise capital in the UK. So far, one Chinese company, Huatai, has used the Connect to raise $1.54 billion, with no UK company taking the same offer in China as yet. This is interesting timing considering the trade war going on between the US and China, especially with the US being a longtime ally of the UK. However, there are no permanent friends, only permanent interests, and as the UK prepares for less than a smooth exit from the EU, it is important to begin reaching further than Europe for ways to extend economic reach. At the same time, it is worth noting that this has been planned and negotiated before the trade war, and considering that no real progress has been made in Brexit negotiations, this could be a step to calm the nerves as the cliff edge date draws nearer. British Chancellor Philip Hammond said of the move, quote, London is a global financial centre like no other, and today's launch is a strong vote of confidence in the UK market, end quote. Though it is entirely true of London's reputation as a global financial centre before Brexit, it will be interesting to see if moves like this ensure London remains as such post-Brexit. Credit for this story goes to David Meyer. Links for all of the longer reads will be in the description. This has been the Commercial Awareness Podcast. Thank you for listening and thank you once again for your patience. Please be sure to rate, share, and subscribe, and you'll hear from me next week.